At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Everybody, welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians, policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates. We're fed up with the status quo and we have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. A lot of buzzwords today in really modern industry and healthcare for sure, as we always quip that healthcare is about 20 years, maybe 25 years behind other industries when it comes to utilizing technology effectively and intelligently, I will say. But artificial intelligence is one of those things where people kind of look at it as this panacea, this cure-all, this can fix everything. We just have to put the robots back in charge of a very human type of interaction. And talking today with Sachin Patel, CEO of Apixio, really about the past couple of years of what is you know the ongoing COVID pandemic and AI's role in, I guess, really the, the potential of AI that we had and we're going to start off by talking about what happened and where, where was this almost cure-all for the medical industry and healthcare industry from a data standpoint and really where we go from here. So Sachin, thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, great to be here as well. Thanks. Now, me saying that and setting the stage, I don't want to sound overly pessimistic, but in your own words, artificial intelligence and in in, in what we had back in, I guess, 2020 and 2019, it really failed everybody from businesses to healthcare organizations, to doctors, to patients, what happened? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And it's a question I know a lot of folks are trying to figure out. And really, you know, in terms of how the, the training and the development of the AI works, that's really where you have to, to start with this, you know, and there's a piece that you can't just tell a machine, right? It starts with when even computer programming was first developed decades ago. The idea is you're instructing the computer to teach it to do something. And in this case, with artificial intelligence, it's certainly, you know, the equivalent of more than multivariable calculus. And the idea is that you need to train that machine to do something. But during the the COVID situation and and all of the different data sets that were being examined, I think a lot of the the takeaways now, looking back, we've had a couple years of this. um, But even in that early period, there was obviously urgency to solve it, right? Appropriately so. Figure out what's going on here. But the volume of data that was available was limited based on all over the globe. You're getting bits and pieces here. You're not able to knit it together. So it wasn't clean data, I'd suggest. And you need that clean data. You need to understand it. You have to be able to group it by, you know, exactly which patient it was, exactly what cohort of patients, what disease state, what conditions did they have. And so all of that really is very important to getting to the right conclusion. And then you have to say, okay, a physician has to be there, right, next to the person training the algorithm saying, okay, weight that signal higher, weight this signal lower, because it matters, right? That is the, the training that they've received over so much time. 
And so you have to incorporate that into the training of those models as well. And then you can expect the results to be reasonable. Is there a difference? We hear the words machine learning a lot. Um, is there a difference between what you're describing as artificial intelligence and the impact it can have and then machine learning? Yeah, it's, it's a component, you know, of, of the sort of Venn diagram. And so, um, you know, the concept of machine learning is to, is to continue to, to build on that same set of, of signals and inputs. And so it's a piece of it, but there's, you know, a variety of different techniques that can be used um, in any sort of artificial intelligence capability. So it just depends how you want to approach a certain problem. And what I'd suggest is, yeah, there's the umbrella term, but certain cases don't require that much overcomplication, if you will, that often can lead to that bad output, right? You want to make sure that you're applying the correct technique in the correct setting and then being a partner to the human in that activity. Talking about bad data outputs, and to most medical professionals, doctors, nurses, everybody, data is one of those four-letter words that everybody's talking about data, but nobody really knows what it means and nobody really can do anything with it. What are your thoughts on, on really why it is such, I'm going to say the word junk, coming out there and why we have so many disparate systems out there that we just, it's like we've, we've created this own problem and then we go bury our heads in the sand and be like, Hey, nothing to see here. Yeah. You know, this is a story that, that I know um, even listening to some of your prior interviews and discussions, it's, it's a well-known problem in healthcare of like many years of decisions and various systems and things that were used. And so the history is there, but essentially you have a variety of different structured and unstructured information both of which is actually needed to make a decision, right? So the structure would be things like claims and lab results that typically come in a format that any of us can read it and, you know, you get your report at the physician's office and you know, okay, I can figure this out. I know what's going on here, at least for the basics, blood pressure, et cetera. But there might be a tremendous amount of information, and certainly we think so at Apixio, that 70% of the value is in the unstructured information. It's in the clinical notes. So to give you an example, you know, my, my son has um, strabismus in his eye and we go to his ophthalmologist who's wonderful and I see that when he's typing it out, he's typing the most important items into the notes, right? So it's, it's all in there. Now, those notes in his format are structured, but I actually looked at it as a Word document. He then attaches that Word document to his EMR, and all of a sudden, it's not searchable. And so the idea is that you really need to look at that alongside the information that gets typed in for a claim or whatnot and pair those together to say, okay, in my son's situation, like what type of strabismus does he have? What's going on exactly with it? What's the next recommended steps, et cetera? And so I think the complexity of bringing that together is what causes a lot of people to the you know, opening of your question to be like, boy, I don't know what to do there. Yeah. And, and obviously coming from our world in the direct care world, you know, we, we do away with, we throw building codes out the window because it is just so burdensome on those medical professionals and you know, anybody in more of a fee-for-service type of a practice, anybody who's listening to the show understands, you know, where we, where we stand on that one and, and, and over the overburdensome aspects of it. So give us a little bit of background on Apixio and really what you guys are doing to push everything forward and actually improve upon the things that we just talked about. Yeah. So at Apixio, our platform is essentially able to take all of these uh, structured and unstructured bits of information with a focus on ensuring that the unstructured is converted into structured information and computable data putting that together and forming a profile of the patient, we call it a patient phenotype, and from that you can extract a variety of insights. To the point of our discussion today, where we've started and largely made our name is more in the range of non-clinical functions. So we are actually taking the benefit of the fact that we have now processed well over 30 million patient charts and said, okay, if it can be successful in a non-clinical setting, 
to suggest, you know, provide information around risk stratification, what is the risk burden of this population for various different lines of business, and people are feeling that that has a pretty good narrow confidence interval and the recommendations being made of, hey, I think this patient has diabetes, I think this patient has heart failure. If it's working in an administrative or non-clinical setting, then you have the ability to have confidence to move it into the clinical setting. And so that's kind of the next place that we want to go, but with the confidence that what we're suggesting is really high quality. And again, idea being, um, and I'll borrow a phrase from my brother who's a physician, you know, not to replace what the physician is doing, but give them an additional set of information in a consolidated format and allow them to practice the art of medicine. That was going to be my question. Kind of beat me there. Like, how do you get adoption in you know hospital systems yeah. where doctors are just so pressed for time? We've talked to some other companies who are trying to be like, look, we can provide all this different type of stuff. And I'm thinking, well, you got like five, seven minutes, if that, you know, from a physician standpoint. So how do you how do you really help these people out to perform and, and give the care that they that is crucial, but yet able to look at it and say, like, yeah, this was the right call. Looking at everything, all the different variables that go into it. Yeah. So um, our customer set is largely payers and uh, at-risk provider groups. So they are taking on risk from from the plans. We don't have as much customer concentration in the uh, health system space. And I think that's a that's its own puzzle, right? So I'll kind of leave that to the side. But in our experience, when working with the provider groups, which is about half of our customer base, we've found that starting with them in a smaller cohort or smaller population, let's say sub, you know, 20,000 members, and then saying, okay, can we provide you with great insights on this small cohort? Do you feel good about it? And then slowly growing that uh, adoption with them over time. And it's a, it's a years-long journey, right? This is not a thing that you do something in three months, they're like, great, triple that, and let's look at 60,000 patients now. It's like, no, we want to work with them as a partner over time to make sure that the recommendations being made are, are agreed upon and that they have an ability to ask us, can you look back through that? Can you show me how you got to that conclusion? And we have to have those conversations, right? So we'll, on sort of an annual basis, do a look back with them and make sure that everyone's in agreement. And those groups, you know, are organized, I think, to the portion of your question as well, to want to employ these techniques and utilize some technology to make their practices more efficient, to reduce that overhead that they have to deal with and allow them to see the patients that they need to see or or to conduct the other functions. Because often in, in the areas that we solve for, you have nurses and, and other medical professionals using half of their time, as you know well from your business also, doing a bunch of functions that really are better served elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back to where we were before about the COVID-19 pandemic, where data really, uh, where a lot of AI you know, just, just dropped the ball, so to speak, because one thing that's always stuck in my mind has been, you know, we're looking at a lot of studies coming out from different countries about different subsets. So I'm thinking, where are the United States studies? Where, where's the CDC coming out and measuring effectiveness of vaccines and how long you know, antibodies last? And where's the natural immunity? And how do these things, different things compare? Why are we relying on other countries to be able to publish this when we have a massive population here in the United States? Everybody's kind of doing little things. How are we not able to figure out what is actually working or really what's going on in the last two years? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, with sort of deference to sort of any policy, you know, decisions or, or anything like that. We're neutral. A, <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. we're, we, we try to be as neutral yeah. as possible because uh, right, right. It, yeah, it's totally. yeah. that relate to everybody, right? Yep, absolutely. And so I would say that the response to it was fragmented, it seemed from our observation, um, you know, and this is based on conversations with our clients and partners, just general industry conversations. There wasn't a 
consolidated effort from what we could tell to pull from a variety of different sources, right? So if you were, I'll give it an AI lens on it, if you were going to say, let's deploy some form of artificial intelligence capability to mine all of this data, or not only mine, but also you know, examine all of this data and come out with some conclusions, you would need to have a pretty focused effort across every state in the United States, some sort of centralized way to pull that all together. And it's a big lift. And you've got disparate systems that are providing the output in a variety of different ways. And you're going to have that information coming to you in so many different formats and so many different needs to bridge that data that you need to have a fairly focused effort. And I really do think as fast as the other parts of the solution, if you will, you know, vaccine, otherwise we're able to move, we found that in this area, it didn't seem to move as quickly as we would have, you know, liked. And I think that just speaks to the underpinnings of the information technology infrastructure that's out there, which is not cohesive and speaking to one another. So you see with right. the TEFCA guidance, of the other stuff coming from the policy side, they are, they being, you know, CMS and other entities are looking to, to bring that together. But right now, there's no, no one compelling everyone that you must share your information in this manner. Right, right. And I get that from the national level. You know, we, the United States is built on 50 individual little experience called states here. Yeah. But I'm thinking, you know, even from like the basic level, like health systems, you can say, oh, okay, in our health system with 10,000 patients, you know, we saw this, this, and this and compared and cross. I, maybe maybe my lens is just super narrow and, and I'm happy to be corrected by anybody listening, you know, out there, but it just seems like we really dropped the ball and there's a lot of opportunities there. Is that something that AI in a Pixio, is that in your target saying, hey, we, we can improve upon that and here's how we do that? Yeah, I would say that's not our, our immediate focus, if you will, based on where we are, but I think taking the question in a little bit different direction. Our ability now, having mined through all of these, you know, 30 million charts plus that we have, we have the opportunity to apply it in a lot of different settings, right? And so breaking down your question a little bit, if you've got all of these different health systems and you can pull information, you probably want to start with that local experience and say, okay, what similar cohorts do we have in our data set that might mirror this set of patients? And you know, you want to particularly find, obviously, those in this case that were diagnosed with COVID and bring them over together and say, okay, are there any commonalities here? Can we figure out any patterns here? And some of the things we hear around, you know, if you have two or three conditions or more, you're going to be likely to have had a more significant impact from COVID. And so those sort of analyses can be done uh, and then AI can be used very appropriately there. What I would say, though, is you do need that clinical lens on it to make sure that you are training those algorithms correctly, right? And making sure that you, when you look at that data, okay, this is a rural population, this is a city population, this is a population that is in a food desert, or this population is in an area where they typically don't get as much, um, you know, outdoor activity. All of those things matter and need to be incorporated to arrive at the right conclusion. And to your point around the, you know, different states and different areas and different regions, even within the states, probably the right way to have done it was to use the technology in those appropriate lines of demarcation, if you will, so that you get to the best solution for that population. And you can do that by deploying it in the right manner. Not just a clinical lens, but I want to say we need some policy you know, makers to actually pay attention to great information, great data, great studies coming out too, and not just uh, take the, the local talking points. So there we go. We'll put everybody, all the politicians on blast so that we don't we're not, we're not yeah. looking like we're picking a side or anything along those lines. So tell me a little bit, so set the future here, you know, looking forward. One of the things that, that drives me nuts is complaining about a problem that we can't do anything about right now, but not having a solution moving forward. So where do we take this thing from here from not just a pandemic, but 
just an overall standpoint from healthcare in America? Yeah, I think as it relates to this this data puzzle, I really do think that you know there have been some regulations in the past that that everyone's aware of that have been with the spirit of opening up the sharing of data, but it's not happening yet, right? That's our experience as well. You have to take, you know- There's always unintended consequences from everything, right? That's right. And so I do think that it starts with the policy and and compelling the open sharing of information with a set of standards and a set of, you know, formats, if you will, in simple terms of data that needs to be exchanged across all of these disparate systems, because they're going, the data is in there, right? It's, It's over decades of information about different kinds of patients you're not going to be able to have a uniform PMR that everyone uses or a uniform additional system that everyone is going to use. So you need to figure out a solution where those are talking to one another and are required to be in a particular format. And so I think there's this notion that any bit, and appropriately so, right, I I understand, like everyone understands that they have high value in their data and I want to preserve that and understand it for my own purposes first before I open it up and share it. But I think we're probably at the point, if not past the point, that that hesitation needs to go away and everyone needs to be compelled to share that information so that more goodness can come out of it. But with the appropriate also oversight that these, the manner in which AI or other technology is being applied is correct for that case and mm-hmm. is being you know weighted appropriately relative to what the ultimate outcome is. Because if you just open it up and people start doing things that aren't informed on it and don't have a clinical eye on it in the case of you know something that is going to be put in front of someone at the point of care, that's when you run into trouble. Right. And that leads me into you know, a lot of critics of what is called population health and you know, this big data play and trying to figure out who's at you know, most risk for different types of stuff. You know, a lot of the critics will say, well, well, yeah, I understand that if you're a 30-year-old male, you only have a very small percentage of colon cancer you know, possibility, so you shouldn't get checked out for 10 years. But they come back and say, if you're that one exception, you're that 30-year-old male that does develop colon cancer, you're screwed. And so it's not yeah. just looking at, you know, quality control from a manufacturing process. These are real human, human lives. And I, for, that has just stuck with me as how do you get around that? How do you address that on the macro scale? Yeah, that's the question, right? And it's getting to the point of that end of one care um, and then making sure that each person is taken care of. I think the proliferation in one of your maybe episodes late last year, there was a gentleman on who had this remote monitoring business that that is the type of additional data you need in, right? Because maybe there's something, I don't know, right? In terms of like what might be a trigger for knowing something that might indicate someone has colon cancer that's actually on the younger end of the spectrum and and not expected. But that information could be sent into a centralized source, assuming that you're sharing that openly and their physician can be notified of that and it can be paired with other information such that you can get in front of that patient And that's where I really do think all of this capability around artificial intelligence, any of the other sort of technologies that are used in the same realm, even if they're more simplistic, to just give you an alert, can be utilized in a pretty meaningful way to make sure that the patient actually comes in and gets seen in those situations. That's that's going back to the patient compliance one, which a lot of medical professionals out there are like, man, I can tell somebody to quit smoking, you know, and tell them blue in the face, and they actually have to take that action themselves, right? right? So there is a lot of personal responsibility built into it. Such, I want to, I want to go a little bit more into your personal story. You've had um, a a very colorful career across industries. What led you to this point with the Pixio and leading the charge? 
Yeah, so um, I grew up in a small town in Texas, um, a 1,200-person town, and then ultimately moved to Houston, and then at that point started actually volunteering at MD Anderson Cancer Center. So that was my first exposure to healthcare. My, my aunt actually worked there, and so I would stay with them over the summers and, and volunteer there. So it got me interested in healthcare a little bit, and then actually ended up doing my undergrad degree in electrical engineering out of just a general interest in science or whatnot, and as you noted, you know, went into investment banking afterwards, and that's where I got reintroduced to healthcare in many ways by covering those those organizations and then ended up back in the cancer care world with a couple of uh, care delivery organizations. And then with that background in technology as well, I found Apixio to be a particularly compelling story where I thought, this is really great. It seems like a very thoughtful journey to ultimately getting to the point of care to make recommendations based on really high quality artificial intelligence capabilities. So I thought that was really an interesting way to go about it. So that's what brought me here, and it's been great. We've got a tremendous amount of customers, well over 40, half payers, half provider groups, and so you get a, a really you know, nice set of conversations going with them, and you get a pretty good view into you know, their perspectives on where healthcare is, is headed in America and what matters you know, importantly in their particular region as well. From a client standpoint, we hear a lot of conversation about this desire to move away from what's called fee for service, and there's a lot of different definitions of uh, of what fee for service there. I'm going to just say, you know, kind of episodic insurance based care into what is termed value based care, which is very buzzwordy in itself. Break those down for us. Where where is the actual movement happening, and, and where are these pair groups wanting to go in order to what I'm going to say, you know, increase the amount of or increase the levels of care. Uh, and really prevent, um, you know, health issues from kind of happening in the first place or prevent readmissions, that type of thing. Yeah. So uh, I, I think, and, you know, this is based on, on sort of our experience at Apixio and then past experience as well. But um, I, I am kind of, uh, I agree with you on, on the buzzword, certainly. Uh, that's that's uh, well noted, but I, I'll use the term uh, value-based care. And I, I do believe that that is, is certainly you know, gaining more and more traction, admittedly in certain regions more than others, right, um, based on, on on what everyone sees as far as mostly on the coast and then kind of working its way into other major metro areas. And so I do think that's where the puck is headed. It seems like, you know, and has been headed, I should say more appropriately. A lot of the payers and, and especially the provider groups, we often see, you know, the overlap of like where um, that provider is working with that exact payer um, on that same set of patients, right? And so what's interesting to us is just, is to see that they are actually quite aligned on ensuring that they understand the risk burden of those populations jointly. And I think when the provider has a little bit more purview into that and is, you know, able to manage that, yes, the spend to keep the the cost where I think we all want to see it go, but alongside that, importantly, ensure that the quality is at a high level, you do have a really winning recipe, in my opinion. And so um, the way that I think it it will go is certainly you're seeing a lot of models where the primary care piece uh, is is the start, right? You want primary care to be the quarterback of the situation. Um, but ultimately, you know, in terms of managing one state, they are able to not only triage, um, but do more than that and, and care for the patient. But once you have a, a true situation identified and a true medical condition that requires a specialist, you're going to see, you know, and, and you're already seeing that, but many of the, the, the most significant uh, specialties, you know, kidney care, oncology, cardiology, those are the ones where I think you're going to see more and more value-based care uh, business model adoption because you need to be able to, to um, have those dialogues as well. Uh, I'm sorry, not have those dialogues, my apologies, to be able to care for those uh, patients in those settings as well with that sort of uh, similar approach to ensure that you're doing high-quality care 
avoiding those, you know, admissions unnecessarily into the hospitals, um, and yet making sure that they do go there when they need to. Right. Is the secret really having organizations share the data? And if, if the answer is yes, like that's going to unlock everything. If the answer is yes, how do we do that so that we have volunteers and not, we're, we're not just legislating it into, into action here? I think it's not as simple, at least today, as just sharing the data. I do think that's part of it, absolutely. But you have many organizations that don't have the data organized yet in a format or a way in which you can share it easily. So I think step one is assessing where each organization is. So that's part of it on the data side and being able to openly share that and then say, okay, what are the conclusions a group that's treating kidney care patients in one market is seeing relative to another? And there's a lot of organizations out there, care delivery organizations that are looking to do that. I think the other part of it, though, is the physicians need to be oriented around it as well, right? And, and I think they are, and, and with the appropriate, again, I'll reiterate, right, the respect to them of practicing what they practice, right, and, and being involved in that decision-making process. And so it's a journey where they understand the data, agree with it, you reach a conclusion of like, okay, I'm on board with that. That's the right clinical decision 90% of the time and 10% of the time it should require these additional steps or this additional review before we make a final call on it. And still, you're just, even in that 90% of cases, the physician or the nurse or whoever else um, is providing the care is making that final call. But you're informing it with something that everyone feels really, really good about as far as the quality of the recommendation from, you know, the AI capability or whatnot. Yeah. And, and I, just because I, you know, deal with that audience, I do appreciate you saying, you know, with all due respect, that doctor, that nurse making that end, that end call, you know, there's a reason why they call it the practice of medicine, right? It's like, it's hard to just be like a hundred percent every single time. Cause there's a lot of different variables. Human beings are, are made up of, I have no idea how many, but a lot of different you know, systems, subsystems, cells, you want to, you, however you want to have a name it. And we're all different. And that's, you know, that's really the beauty yeah. of it. So, you know, I, I always looked at it in the early days of a lot of the, you know, the data aspects of, in healthcare. I'm like, man, I don't know if this is just a pipe dream, but man, wouldn't this be cool if you know, everything came together. So I wanted to close, you know, last question here, kind of the crystal ball moment when you, you're a, you know, a business leader, a family man, you know, based on all your experiences from your family, from your relatives, um, your brothers in the medical industry too, and then leading a company, you know, what does the perfect healthcare system really look like to you? What kind of changes do we need to make to get there? Yeah. Um, try to keep it as brief as possible, but in my opinion, <laughs> you can the way- dream if you want to. <laughs> Get pontificate. Um, yeah, that I, I think in, in my opinion, it's reducing the significant amount of, and this is going to sound obvious, right, to your audience, especially it's a very well-informed audience, but there's just such a tremendous amount of administrative overhead and burden before the care is delivered. And so you're seeing these businesses that are going and delivering care in patients' homes and things of that nature. That's actually taking down a lot of that hassle, right? And then kind of pushing it elsewhere. Yes, so we need to solve that. But that's the spirit of it. And I think it needs to be this more distributed network of care where you are. I think it's also care that's informed with really high quality understanding of past patterns of what's happened with different populations, different regions, and then ultimately allowing that physician to spend or nurse or members providing the care, social worker, et cetera, to spend the maximum amount of time with the patient, right? And that's where I think we all want to go. And so you know, one example I might give that, that's an interesting one is let's say you're in, and I'll harken back to kind of a, a rural town or a small town, your AI or your technology might tell you, you should give this patient this medication and put them on this diet. 
okay, but what if that region doesn't have a diet that includes certain grains or certain vegetables because they're not available? Or what if that medication is literally not available in that market? That's when you need to open it up and allow the care provider to determine an alternate path, right? So it's this still in front of the patient, making sure that that interaction is, is given the, the maximum time to be impactful. Bringing the human element to it, bringing the environment into it. I, yeah, I, I'm sitting there shaking my head, you know, for those of you who are not watching on video, I'm like, yep, yep, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Sachin, thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. This has been an absolute wonderful conversation and uh, we wish you the best of luck in, in all your uh, business adventures. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate the time. That's Sachin Patel, CEO of Apixio. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. This is Healthcare Americana. Be sure to check us out online at healthcareamericana.com for all episodes and reach out to us. We always like everybody to say hi to us. Be sure to follow us on all the social media channels at Health Americana. Until next time, thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.